Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judea countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I love, with you I am well pleased. Good morning. It's great to see all of you. I really appreciate uh, a lot of things uh, today, but um, mostly I'm really grateful for uh, what has happened over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, It is is a treat to uh, be able to sit uh, in this room and to participate in ways um, by just being a part of what's happening here and not always having to be up here. And so Clay and Jeff and Laura Lynn and Rylan and a host of people um, have been uh, not only helpful to uh, really helping with the last three weeks, but are really helping um, and becoming a part of uh, the vision and what God has been doing in and through our church. And it's just, it's so exciting for me to see uh, more and more leaders uh, not only taking the handles, but actually me uh, and some, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a whack job sometimes, so to to be able to, to, to let go and to experience our church uh, in, in those ways and getting ready for Easter and getting ready for a lot of things that are coming up uh, in and over the next few weeks. And as you just heard, uh, we're gonna be looking at four different kind of pictures of Jesus over the next four weeks. And some of you, if you've grown up in the church, you might've heard this in like Backyard Bible Club or Vacation Bible School or seen the flannel boards. And uh, if, you, if you know what I'm talking about, or maybe you haven't. But what a lot of times when we look at Jesus, we look at uh, his teaching or his life, and we try to extract a moral principle to apply to our lives. And that's, that's not a bad thing, and it's not a wrong thing. And there are lots of things that we can look to that Jesus taught and said that give us direction morally. But Jesus did not come to be a moral compass for us. He did not come to give you a moral direction. He came to give you life. He came to do something that we 
we just don't really have a category for it. And so we're going to be looking at these, these stories. Uh, Jesus in his baptism today and a, Jesus in a wee little man, if you remember the song. And Jesus in a donkey and then Jesus in an encounter with a landscaper. And all these things are going to happen and we're going to do this uh, leading up to Easter. And each gospel was written differently. One from Mark, one from Luke, one from Matthew, and one from John. And uh, Mark's gospel just jumps right into the point. You just read this, right? You just heard this. That just, hey, here's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then it jumps in with this dude in the desert with locusts and wild honey. And the next thing you know, Jesus is being baptized. And it's just rapid fire all the way through. And Mark's writing with a really specific purpose. It's the shortest gospel. It's, it's very concise. So when you're reading it, you need to understand that it reads differently than Luke, who was researching this, to really get the detail and understand the the historical or the uh, context and the reality of what occurred. And then John is writing in a much more poetic uh, way. We'll talk about that uh, coming up. But Mark's emphasis in this sort of concise nature seems to be on this reconciliation or us belonging to God. And specifically, he mentions to us about being a family about being a family, about somehow what God is doing is building together a people who are brothers and sisters and who live in this way that is distinctly different from uh, everything else. So what you'll see, I'm going to try to draw this. uh, I'm going to start on this side. I'm going to start right here. Because what I want you to see is, is something here. That's pretty good. I'll go this way. So, so if, you're, if you're trying to do this on your notes, I'm sorry, because it might take you a lot longer. You know, you'll be like, oh, I messed it up. So there's this idea that we have in, in baptism that gets lost, and what you see and what Jesus uh, said. And before, before we do that, <clears throat> I want to read something to you. And I want to ask you, because as we get ready for Easter, um, as we sort of think about this, where we want to look at these encounters with, with, with Christ, with Jesus himself, and for it to do something in us. And here's what Paul writes about this. And I think he just connects this beautifully uh, to where we're going over the next few weeks. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, should no longer be consumed about the things that are in front of you, your will, your way, my will, my way, should no longer live for those things, but rather for him who died and was raised again. So Paul is making a case here that our lives are to be arranged to live in a priority and an offering for a particular person who was raised from the dead. And what he says is that we are convinced of this. And what I want to ask you is what would convince you? And what most of us think because we are Westerners and we in America, and we like facts. And you think that if you have enough information, then you'll finally be convinced and you'll never doubt again. Your, your ability or capacity to be convinced is because you know for certain. And so you just work on getting more and more information, putting the pieces together. And that's not actually what Paul says. 
He says, we are convinced uh, of something. We are compelled, not because we have all the facts. We are compelled because we are convinced of God's love for us. We are convinced of God's love for us, that he, uh, there's a force that comes from him into me, into us, that breathes worth and value and reconciliation and restoration, all these other things. And so this is where I want for us to, to sort of think about this. Now, now the, the account that we read is a little strange in baptism. Why would people be going out for some dude with lo- eating locusts and wild honey? Um, which wild honey sounds good, locust don't. I got some wild honey in my coffee, I mean, in my tea. It's actually pretty good. The locust thing I'm not into. So John's out there and he's t- people are walking into the Jordan River and they're dunking them in. And even you've probably seen us do this at a church. We re- people come in, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We dunk them into the water. And if you grew up in the church, it's not odd. But if you didn't, it's probably like, what are they doing? And there's actually a context. There's a thing that was happening back in the day. There's all these layers and meaning to this. This is what I want, I want us to enter into this and see something. I'm convinced that is in the American church, and I can only speak for our church. I can't be responsible for any other churches. I, you know, well, I don't really wish I could. I got enough uh, with this one. And I was gonna say, I wish I was, I don't. Um, and there, there, what I'm convinced of is that the problem isn't what we know or the information that we get. It's that we have to see something different. You have to see something different to engage in the scriptures, to read and to trust and to know what you're trusting and what you're looking for. And we're gonna do this together. We're gonna spend the next probably eight or 10 weeks talking about some of these things. But the baptism was an immersion. It was an entrance. And in Jewish history, Hebrew history, um, what, there's a lot of laws that talk about being clean in order to prepare to enter into this uh, a place to meet God, namely the temple or the tabernacle, all these sacrifices and all these ways. And it was a way for us to be presented as clean. And so this washing or these baths or these labyrinths uh, or these uh, uh, bowls where people would wash their hands or their feet or other things, it was, it was a common thing. And what you would find in ancient uh, Hebrew culture is a lot of times they would have these, these, these latrines or these pits, these uh, dugout and people would uh, enter in from one side and they would dip underneath this bath. It would come out the other side. And it was an act of saying, I'm immersed and now I'm clean. And, and the, the idea of baptism, it's actually interesting. The word comes from this idea to be intertwined or tangled up. And so what baptism was kind of known as is these two ideas. It was an act of alignment. It was basically I'm entering in and I'm aligning myself with something I'm tangled up, namely in the will of God. I'm, I'm gonna be tangled up in his identity and, and in who he is and my life is gonna be entwined with his. It was an act of, declare, of, of, of alignment, but it was also a declaration of trust because baptism had other metaphors about waiting and a posture of awaiting something happened. It was hopeful. So it was a declaration that, yes, my, my, my will is now intertwined with his. And in fact, it's his will. I'm aligning myself with him. And I'm hopeful in whatever he chooses or decides or wherever he leads. So that's the picture that we have. But I think it's even more interesting that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it was this dwelling space where, where everything was as it should be. And what you read, and this is, this, is, this, is, this is what's so fascinating to me about the scriptures. When you read in Genesis, 
It talks about the fact that God, um, that he creates the heavens and the earth. And in there, it says things like this, that he um, created the light and then he separated the light from the dark. And then he separated the sky above from the sky below. And he uses this act of separation to create, to cause, and to, to bring us so that there's this space where we would dwell with him in unity and in wholeness in the way that we were supposed and designed to live. And so what do you know happened, right? That somehow uh, creation that began by separating, and it's interesting, the other thing too, is that it talks about this, this separation, this creation coming out of the chaotic deep or the abyss. Some of your words, some of your Bibles say that it was formless and void. And in all of the, oh, and I talked about this at, at uh, uh, not a worship, but in the end of Revelation, when it talks about that there is no sea in the new heaven and the new earth at the very end of your Bible in Revelation, it doesn't mean there's not gonna be any surfing in heaven. That's what people used to tell me. Oh, there's, gonna be, there's no sea, there's no surfing. There's gonna be surfing in heaven, okay? <laughs> what it means is there's no chaos. The, the, the ancient idea of the sea if you ever look at any of the, 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 the drawings or the pictures, especially before like, uh, people began to cross the oceans, the sea was always this place of chaos and this place where you didn't know it was, just, it was just treacherous. So that's what it represents and represents in the scriptures. And what God did is he was separating the chaos to provide a space for life to occur. That's the picture in the Bible. But you know what happened, right? The fall. We trusted ourselves and all of a sudden uh, humans now live under a different rule, the rule of sin, and they have unleashed chaos back into the world. And now separation is no longer a means to create space for life. We are separated from him and now we live or we experience death. We experience the absence of what he intended. And so what you've got to sort of the picture you have to have in your mind is what is happening, this imagery of separating. And then what you would see, what God has done for us as he begins to sort of replace these, he is calling us and he is creating in us a new place and a new space in which heaven and earth overlap. And you and I have the opportunity to dwell in the old covenant. It was after the proper sacrifices were made, they could enter into this space right here and be with God and experience this new creation. And in Jesus, this is done permanently and it is sealed. And we're, we're gonna talk about that later on, but there's, you gotta get the picture in your head. Most of us think that we are separated from God it means that one's going to heaven and the other's going to hell. And what he's teaching us is that the separation, the, the redemption of the separation is for you and I to live in a new heaven and a new earth. And there's something we have to go through in order to get there. And what you see in this passage is that Jesus kind of modeled this whole picture for us. And it is, Absolutely unbelievable. Baptism is now used as a picture of cleanliness. It's also used redemptively. And the idea, and this is how it's described, Noah going through the chaotic waters of the flood and emerging on dry land so that humanity could once again flourish. Peter, in his epistle, his letter at the end of the Bible, talks about it was a baptism. In 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, Moses leading the people through the Red Sea, the chaotic waters on either side, leading people through the Red Sea is recorded as a baptism. 
So baptism is this entrance into the waters. They are separated to recreate a space for new creation and for new humanity to be together and to flourish the way God intended it to be until one day the new heaven and the new earth are recreated and we once again live in the full and final redemption that God has promised and is doing in your life and in mine. And that's the important part. What is he doing in your life and in mine that brings this reality to bear on the world? That's what I want for us to sort of get today as we prepare for Easter. I just want to read this or give you two observations about baptism real quickly, and then I'm going to try to move through this pretty quick. If you have your Bibles, you want to look to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be bouncing around there for a minute. But Mark chapter 1, we'll just read it again at the time. And, and, and what I want to do, I want to notice two observations. Observation number one, you'll notice that there's the language of that the Spirit of God is descending and resting on Jesus. That's what you'll notice, that the Spirit of God descends and rests. Number two, that baptism is sort of a cutting through or a separation, a cutting through the chaos, and what emerges is life. I want you to get those two pictures in your head as we read. Mark chapter 1. At that time, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Nazareth uh, came from Nazareth into, in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending like a dove. Every person in that culture would have known Isaiah chapter 11. They would have known this. They would have been taught this since they were kids. A shoot will come up from the branch or from the stump of Jesse. This is Isaiah 11, starting in one. And his roots, a branch, will bear fruit. And what does it say next? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will delight to do God's will. And you keep reading and what you see is this vision in verse 10, it says this, in that day, in that final day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all people and the nations will rally to him and his resting place will return to the glory that it was intended to be. This is what is to come. They would have all known this. They would have all known this. So this, this idea that these two things that happen here are this, if, if Jesus coming out of the waters is this separating the chaos, and what else do you notice in that passage? It says that they saw that the heavens were what? Torn open. They were separated as well. Why would they be doing that? Because they're creating this space in between for life. Out of this separation and this separation, there is a return to the way in which we were, we were called to live. Most of us, we hear this, that for God to love the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have what? Eternal life. And most of us think that it means this thing that happens to us after we die, but it is really, it is the kind of life that we live. It is an eternal kind 
of life. It's the life that we were meant to live in the very beginning. You have to see this or you're gonna think that you just have to wait. That the only time this becomes good news is after you die, which just doesn't sound that fun to me, right? This is where we have to, to get to. And this is exactly what's happened. So after the heaven breaks open, look at this in verse, I think it's verse 11. What does it say? A voice, we'll put it on the screen, a voice came from heaven. And what does the father say? This is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. What Jesus is doing in this moment as the heavens are torn and the chaos is torn, there's this separation that creates a new place for us to live as a new humanity and within a new creation. I wanna make this very clear. Jesus and his baptism isn't simply aligning himself with God, but rather he is revealing himself as the one whom everyone has been waiting for and the one that we actually align ourselves with. Jesus was making claims in his baptism. He was recreating what God, what the Father began, and he was doing it to reconcile us into a relationship with him that would change us, change you, but also shape or reshape the world. Most of us have like, we wanna change the world. And we try to create all these, you change the world by walking faithfully with God in a moment as, as one who belongs to him. I, I, I hear this over and over, this pressure to do big things for God. God does big things all by himself. You realize that, right? He doesn't need you or me to do anything. In fact, the, like, how do you compare? Like God created like Pluto. Like what have you done to compare to that? Like, look at, look at my house, God. Look at this business I built, right? It's like, what do what we, what do we, he doesn't need that. That's not what he's asking of us. But the other thing that you all know, that we all know, is that anybody who has done anything that looks like it's big or significant, it isn't because they did something big or significant. It's just because they did faithful little things for a long time. Because God is recreating and he's using you and I to do it just like he intended in the beginning when he created mankind. He said, I want you to rule and reign. He's redoing that again. Y'all, this is the gospel. And this is why it is the love of Christ that compels me. I feel so fortunate. I've been doing this job for 22 years. I am more excited to get up and come to work today than I was 22 years ago. It is not because, maybe because I'm ADD, that could be a part of it, but it's also because there's, there's just this, for 12 years, since 2010, I've been saying, God, can you give me vision? Can you help me see? Can you help me see? Can you help me see? 12 years, I've been praying that prayer. And you know what? He's beginning to answer it. That is a thrilling place to be. Stay in and stay faithful. What begins to happen to Jesus as he begins to become very popular. If you look there, you'll see that he begins to heal people. He begins to attack some of the law, drives out uh, impure spirits. He heals a bunch of people. Uh, he prays, he heals a man with le leprosy on the Sabbath. He is breaking some of the laws that the religious leaders and those in charge are like, yo, you can't be doing that. And then not to mention, everybody is starting to look to Jesus. And go, we, want, we want what he has. 
And then what begins to happen is they sort of kind of create a riff. And whenever someone claims to be God, people tend to think they're a little nuts. So that's precisely what happens in Mark chapter three. This is like literally two pages of, this is like a rapid fire gospel. So what happens is Jesus, you know, crowds are beginning to follow Jesus. And so they're all gathered around him. And what you begin to see is they're all meeting with him and they're packing around him. And someone says, hey, yo, you gotta go get his family. Read this, this is what they said in verse 21 of Mark chapter three. When his family heard that all these people were like following him and all the, the rumors that were spreading about him, um, they went to take charge of him for they said what? He's out of his mind. Imagine if your brother said, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. You're like, yeah, right. Like this, this is like real stuff that's happening here. So they go on, they have this thing, they confront Jesus. He basically says, I, there, there is no other option than me to be from the Father. And if you can read that later, but this is what happens at the end. In verse uh, 33, um, verse 32, a crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Now, I would not recommend trying this, but look at what Jesus says. Who's my mom? Who are my brothers? Who? who? I mean, imagine Jesus is like, you're in the, you're in the pen and someone says, hey, your mom's here to get you. Like, that's kind of what's happening. Your mom's, who are my mother and who are my brothers? And look what he says. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here, are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother or my brother and my sister and my mother. Whoever does God's will is a part of this new family, this recreated place. So the big question is what does it look like to do God's will, right? You gotta get the right job, go to the right school, all the big decisions, marry the right person or not marry the right person, whatever it is. You gotta, you gotta, no, no, no. It's about how do we learn to live as those who belong to him, who've been reconciled to him, who identify with him, who are tangled up, who are tangled up and trusting and hopeful in the present moment, in what is happening right now and right there, because that's what he is doing. God's intention is to call to himself a people, a family, his children, in a world where it's dog eat dog, where it's personal branding, where sexual tension and hypersexualization and all this other barter system of exchange is prevalent in the world. We have lost the idea of what it might mean to simply be brothers and sisters and to treat one another accordingly. Do you know what I mean? Women, young ladies can't have an interaction with someone without fear of being gawked at or hit on or whatever, or men that can't keep their eyes with any kind of check because we're bombarded all the time and everything becomes about objectifying and possessing and using to get our will, to satisfy what we want. And this is what Paul says, we no longer live for ourselves. We're pursuing something very different. 
This, this is the challenge. But this is also where the hope is. Now, please don't misunderstand me. There's real risk in being taken advantage of. I get it. There's a reality that it would be a lot easier for you and I just to resolve to take care of you and people who are like you. But one of the things that I'm coming, this is part of the vision I think God is doing, is, and I think this is a huge opportunity for the church, for us to be something different. For this, this space that we take up is actually a place where God's will is done right here on earth, just as he's intended it to be all along. And you do that by what you bring and how you show up and how we show up together to be distinct and different, which is precisely what God has called us to be, which the biblical word is holy, right? Over the next four weeks, what I want for us to consider, because you've all probably heard the story of Easter over and over and over and over and over again. And I want you to consider and to sort of pray, say, Lord, is there something in here that perhaps I've never seen or experienced before? And your default is, no, I've heard this since I was a kid or whatever. But if God is revealing himself to you and he is wanting you to encounter him, you can guarantee that you're going to see something you've never seen before. I want us to seek it and to pray for it. Don't overlay what you think ought to be happening. Just seek it. One of my convictions, this is why I don't ever try to argue with someone or convince anybody or any of those things, because you are made for God. If you're here and you don't necessarily believe in the Bible or Jesus, okay, I get it. I get it. I read the headlines. I get it. Lots of reasons. But here's the thing. You, you have been made by God and you have been made for God. He has created you to find and to experience this eternal kind of life that is only found in Jesus. Like that's, I believe that. So I'm never working against the way you're already made and inclined and being drawn into. And what Jesus came to do when he emerged out of the waters, he created a salvation, a deliverance out of this chaos and into this to create a space for you to live as a new person, a new human in a new creation. That's what this is all about. And he came to redeem the reality that you've been made by him and for him and to free you from anything and everything that separates you from the life you've been created to live. That is really good news right? It's really good news. He's calling us to be a family, which is hard work. I got like my hands full with just my little group. I'm sure you do too. But that's a part of it. He's calling us. Who, who belongs to the family? Those who do the will of my father. 
For some of you, your experience with family is tough, and I understand, it's disappointing. Maybe your acceptance growing up was tied to your performance or you live under some pressure to continually prove yourself all the time and that you've just taken it into adulthood and some of you just continue to pass it on to your children. And you always seem to live on the edge of disappointment. Or maybe you feel like there's just this distance. You just could never really connect. You feel abandoned or overlooked. Or maybe you were harmed. You were harmed physically or sexually or emotionally. Could there be something for you in this new creation as a new person that would do something that you desperately need that would separate, that would forever free you from what has separated you? Maybe you feel like you've lost your family, a divorce that you didn't want or estranged kids or who knows what it might be. Maybe you're struggling to find someone with whom you could start a family with and you're like frustrated, like where's God? It's a valid pursuit, right? There's nothing, nothing, that's a good thing. But it just keeps you on the edge of disappointment. Perhaps there's something available in this space between. That there's a space that's a deliverance space, a salvation space in the chaos that becomes a place for you to flourish. That's the gospel. That's the picture of what Jesus did in this. This is my son, and we are now reunited with him. What if this became a place, like we together became a place where you would find a connection that is real and deep and sustaining and formative One of the things that we have long held to around here, this is part of the vision. I'll put on the screen that if your family of origin can be a place where you experience deep wounds, then perhaps your family of redemption can be a place where you experience deep healing. What if God used us to do that? What if he used us to do that? Perhaps we could be that for someone, for one another. We don't get this on our terms. We come underneath the authority and the lordship of Jesus. We identify and we are tangled in him, in him. The act of baptism is a symbol that we follow Jesus through the chaotic waters and we enter into his death and we emerge into his life, his eternal kind of life and into a new creation that we are helping to shape underneath his rule and underneath his love and in his grace. And in that, we are a family connected in a new humanity, a new community. We are arranged and we are called to bring a new way of life to the world. This changes how you see other people and it changes how you treat other people. So Lord, I want us to give a vision of the garden, this space where heaven and earth 
existed the way that God right, intended for it to be. There's this space that you and I get to dwell where there's freedom and fullness and we get to experience in these pockets this new creation as new humans the way God has intended. We find there that we don't have to prove anything because we've been bought. We've been bought. Father, I ask, as we kind of launch this time into season, into Easter, that you would help us to see. God, in this moment, take us back to this space where heaven and earth, the original creation that is being made new, and let us see you and encounter you and hear of your love for us and be so compelled. Father, for those who are here and have never responded to the gospel by saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I trust what you have done. God, would you meet them in this moment? We would love to be a part of that story. Would you just be so kind as to reveal yourself to us in just really subtle, beautiful, redemptive ways in this moment. And I ask this name of your son, Jesus, who is our king. I want you to just remain seated for just a moment. Let Brian and Melody sing these words kind of over us and ask God to give us vision.